Well, good morning and uh, Merry Christmas to you. And it's, good, it's good to see you. Just a couple of things. In the, if you study church history, in the Middle Ages, if you were involved in um, horrendous behavior that was scandalous, there was a time, whether it was a year or two years or three, where you could not come into the church. You had to worship outside the doors. We have a group of people who could not get in here today, and they're outside the doors in the foyer. I know of nothing that would disqualify them from coming in. So do not, if you see them, do not uh, cast disparaging comments upon them, okay? Be very kind. And it's good to see everyone here. I, I, I am going to be preaching a lot right here because the fourth row to my left really needs to be preached to. So I'm going to be preaching the fourth row, those, those eight people there. So it's good to see you. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the day you've given us and for the tender mercies of the cross. Thank you that um, you, by your power, Holy Spirit, take the Word of God and you make it alive and you make application. So sh show us the greatness of Christ as our Savior today, as our sustainer, as the one who would be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Charles Wesley wrote a very famous hymn entitled, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. It goes like this, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. It's a Christmas hymn. Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, or a hymn by a guy named Isaac Watts. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. See, the incarnation of Christ was the God becoming a man. The eternal God became a man supernaturally, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sin, rose victorious over death, and ascended to heaven. So, so, so really, Christmas is about understanding, rejoicing, and grappling with the greatness of Christ and who Christ really is. And so that's what we're going, to do. we're going to be doing this morning as we look at the Christmas message. And the book of 2 Corinthians in your worship guide is a statement. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says that, that all the promises of God are fulfilled in Christ. All the promises are fulfilled in Christ. And then Paul compares the old covenant and the law with the grace of Christ. And he says in chapter 3, verse 9, for if there was glory or power, if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, uh, the law through Moses, the ministry of righteousness through Christ must far exceed it in a glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all. So the, the law at one time was glorious, the, what Moses thought was, but, but now that's been surpassed and fulfilled in Christ. It has no glory at all because of the glory that has surpassed it. For if what was being brought to an end, the law, the sacrificial system, came with glory, how much more will what is permanent have glory? So, so Christ has fulfilled all the Old Testament sacrificial offerings, all the typologies. He, he, all those things for signified the coming 
of Christ. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. So look at this passage. This is, this is Matthew chapter 13. Jesus says to his people, he says, he says, blessed are your eyes for what they see and your ears for what they hear. For I tell you that many righteous men, all the Old Testament prophets, many righteous men longed to see what you see, but they did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. They, they panted. They panted to see Messiah. They longed for the coming Messiah, but they saw it only dimly. The one way to explain it is this. Let's say you're up in the mountains, and, and you go up on, on, a, on a beautiful uh, mountaintop early in the morning, and you get there, and this is what you see. You're a lot of fog. Now, you can see clearly, but the fog has obscured the landscape. Or if you're driving up, here's what the road might look like. The road, you can see clearly. The Old Testament saints saw clearly the coming of Messiah King, but they, they, they saw it dimly. If you're a child of God and you have the New Testament and you have the story of Jesus and you've got it in your life, this is the way you look at, at the Scripture and the reality of Jesus. You see clearly. It's clear. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. So this morning... I want to talk to you about how to celebrate Christmas. And I'm going to go to a passage of Scripture that's well known. And this passage of Scripture I'm going to refer to, 45 years later, one of the eyewitnesses there, a man named Peter, wrote in a book that we call 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, we were eyewitnesses of His glory. We were eyewitnesses. We saw His glory. And we heard a voice speak from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. He says, we're not following myths. We're not making up stories. We were there, and we saw his glory. And, and so we're going to look at the passage that Peter is referring to 45 years later that radically changed his orientation. It's in Luke chapter 9. It's in your worship guide. We'll start with verse 27. Jesus says, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who stood with him, and as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, the cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. So, so they, they go up on a mountain. They're sleepy. They are kind of in a state of almost, you know, being asleep. And all of a sudden, there's a bright light, and Moses and Elijah come down from heaven, and the appearance of Christ became dazzling white. And, and the Bible says, Luke says, in a very understated way, 
they became awake. I would be awake. I, mean, I would really be awake that they became awake. And here, here are these three men raised in the faith of the Old Testament, longing to see Messiah, and, and they look up, and there is Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus, and they go, wow. The giver of the law, Moses, and the man representing the prophets, talking to Jesus, listen, about his exodus or departure that would happen at Jerusalem when he would die on the cross for our sins. And it is an incredible story filled with wonder. Give me three points this morning. Number one, underscore, all the promises are fulfilled in Jesus. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Lamb of God in the Day of Atonement. Once a year, sacrifice to cover the sins. He is the scapegoat. Upon him was placed the sins of the people. In the Old Testament, there was a, 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 a goat. The high priest would place his hands on the goat head, representing all the sins of the people of Israel, and he'd be sent into the wilderness. Jesus is the scapegoat who takes away the sin of his people. He is the one mediator between God and man. He is the final prophet. He is the ultimate and forever priest, and he is our king who reigns. All the promises, if you're going to celebrate Christmas, realize all the promises in the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus. In Hebrews 10, the, the writer of Hebrews is just glories in the completeness of what Christ has done, and he talks about the sacrificial system, and really, the, the, the Old Testament priest was really a butcher. I mean, he was sacrificed morning and evening. He was covered with blood all the time. He, he's, he's a butcher. And it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, for since the law was a shadow, see, a shadow of the good things that were to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered ever, every year, make perfect those who draw near. You see, the sacrificial system looked forward to the, the coming of the Lamb of God who take away the sin of the world. And then he says in verse 3, he says, but, but, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And what, what do you do? God became a man, he says. God became a man. Verse 11, and, and every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time, a single sacrifice. Boom. For sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time that his enemies will be made his footstool. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. No sacrificial system because Jesus fulfilled it. So if I'm going to celebrate Christmas, I got to realize that all the promises are fulfilled in Christ. And that's why the Baptist faith, the message, a confessional statement that we hold to says this. It says that all scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. All scripture points to Jesus. All scripture, the focus of divine revelation. Born a child, as the Christmas hymn says, and yet a king. Number two, if I'm celebrating Christmas, I must focus my attention on what seized the attention of Moses and Elijah. They talked about the coming departure of Jesus or the exodus of Jesus that was going to happen at Jerusalem. They talked about the coming sacrifice on the cross for our sins and the blood that was shed by Jesus for our sin. 
So, so if, if I'm going to really celebrate Christmas, and if I'm really going to follow Christ, I've got to understand in an ongoing and worshipful way the reality of Christ who died on the cross for my sin. See, Jesus didn't come primarily to be a good teacher. He was that. Or to be a, a rabbi. He, he was that. Or to be a miracle worker. He was a miracle worker par excellence. Or, or, or to be a role model. He was that. Or a leader. He was a leader among men. Jesus came primarily to be a sacrifice for sin. He says in the Gospel of Mark, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for the many. But I want you to get this. Not only, as Wesley says in him, from our sins, or from our fears, and sins release us. See, fears and sins. Not only to come as a sacrifice for sin, but, but in his glorious mercy, he came to show us his glory and to let us share in that glory. Now, this is mind-boggling. I want you to get hold of this. Okay, get hold of this. John 1.14, you know this passage. If you've been a believer, been in church for very long. And the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, forgiveness, mercy, grace. From his fullness, we've seen grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, so, so what he's saying here is this. Is not only have we received mercy, 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 the forgiveness of sins, but we have seen his glory and we share in his glory. When you become a believer, you receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is in the process of making us people who reflect the majesty and goodness of Christ. Look at this verse. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is, this, this is kind of wow. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You, you obtain the glory of Jesus. In other words, you share in, you reflect the character and the person of Jesus. He is in the business of changing us, changing you. He's changing you. That the Holy Spirit is given to us. We're, yes, our sins are forgiven, but the Holy Spirit is in the business of changing you. You have received from Him. We have all received from our family heritage. Many of us have gladly received from our parents and grandparents wonderful things, and all of us have unfortunately received some things from our parents and grandparents. Yeah, I've read a book recently, it's a great book, about a guy named Hiram. I won't tell you his last name until later. Hiram was uh, six feet, 235 pounds lived with, uh, on a reservation in Oklahoma, he was half Irish and half Choctaw Indian. And when I say Irish, I don't want to call to mind any team that's called the Fighting Irish and all that kind of stuff. Just say that, I can say that Hiram rampaged through his community like a ferocious tiger that gobbled things up. A ferocious tiger, a conquering tiger. The Saturday is coming, okay, anyway. 
So, so Hiram, but, but in, this, in, the, in the Native American community, he was half Irish and half Native American. In the Native American community on Saturday, they would all come together, big community affair. The women would knit and, and cook, and the men would sit and talk, and, and they'd play sporting games. They would see how far they could throw a, a, a big pole, or they would run a certain distance, sometimes a mile, and they would, they, they would have you know, arm wrestling contests and just you know, men. But at the end of the day, in this particular tribe, they would always get in a circle, and the men would wrestle each other. This guy would win, challenger, challenge. And then they said, week after week after week, almost without session, uh, this, this man, Hiram, six feet, 235 pounds, ruled the day. He was just a moose of a guy. Well, he was married, or had five wives, and he had at least 19 children. One of his boys ended up becoming the most well-known football player in the first half of the 20th century. He played a place called Carlisle. Uh, it was a school for Native Americans that really won the national championship. It was a powerhouse. And in 1912, this boy who received his father's athleticism was at the uh, Olympics in Stockholm, Sweden, where he won a gold medal in the decathlon, a 10-event uh, grueling race. And they lost his shoes, and so he found a shoe in the garbage can, another shoe someone gave him that seemed to fit, and so he competed in borrowed shoes and he won by 700 points, and he set a record that was not eclipsed for three decades. Amazing athlete. In fact, people that saw him said the best athlete they've ever seen. And after, at, at the, when he received the gold medal, the king of Sweden, King Gustav V, shook his hands and he said, young man, you are the greatest athlete in the world. And Jim Thorpe said, thanks, king. <laughs> True story. So, so Jim Thorpe received from his dad. We received from our parents. What did you receive from Jesus? What did you receive from Jesus? You received not only the forgiveness of sin, but to share in his glory. So, so, so to be changed. So here, here's what my take. But if I'm to celebrate Christmas, I must progressively understand and rejoice in the fact that God is in the business of changing you and me. If you have a trouble, if you're having trouble right now forgiving people, God calls you to forgive them based upon the, word, the glory of the cross. All of us, without exception, really, if we're going to go be with our family, we'll be with family members that push our buttons. Maybe you're sitting beside them this morning. I don't know. But we're called to love them because Jesus has changed our heart. We're called to care for people and to go the second and third and fourth mile because we have received the glory that is in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is changing us. It, some of you have substance abuse issues. You do. You do. And, and, and God wants to change you into somebody that has committed that to him. He, he, he's in the process of changing us from, from angry people to people that display the, the goodness of Christ. We've said many times, I've said many times that, 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 that a disciple is a forgiven sinner, the cross who is progressively learning from Jesus in repentance and faith. I learned from Jesus to go outside of myself, to care for people, to love folks. He wants to change you. See, you are called into fellowship with him. You see the cross, and you receive the Holy Spirit, and he changes you. Where's God working in your life right now? I, I, I'm getting older. I know I am. 
It happens. I want to be changed. I want to be a new man in Jesus in 2019. I don't want to be his. This is the third thing. If we're going to celebrate Christmas, this simple statement. The Father says, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. If I want to celebrate Christmas, I must listen to him. I mean, Peter, James, and John, Jewish boys, Elijah, Moses, wow, but the voice said, listen to Jesus. And then they saw only Jesus. Are you listening to Christ? Are are you listening to Jesus as you listen to to, to Jesus? Is is God working in your life? Come, Holy Spirit. Let me tell you about two women. The first I introduced to you last week, a woman named the Queen of Sheba from the Yemen area. The Queen of Sheba lived during Solomon's time. She heard that Solomon was a wise, wise, wise man, and that was before, you know, FaceTime and all that kind of stuff, so she had to go and see for herself. And so the Queen of Sheba got this incredible large group of camels and donkeys and and, and servants and warriors, and and she saddled them with rubies and gold and all types of beautiful carpets from the the, the Arabian Gulf, and and they went all the way to Jerusalem, and she met Solomon. And as she met Solomon, she was overwhelmed. She says, I wasn't told the half of it. Blessed are the men who sit at your tables. Blessed are the people who hear your words. You are the man Solomon. She was overwhelmed. She gave him gold and rubies and, and rugs and everything. And yet, the scripture says, Jesus says, one greater than Solomon is here speaking of himself. Let me tell you about another woman, a different woman. This woman was uh, an outcast from the outcast. And the, the Samaritans in the New Testament were people who were Jews who had intermarried with pagans, non-believers, and so that was considered to be ceremonially defiling, and so the Jews looked at the Samaritans as outcasts. And so these outcasts really couldn't hang out with the Jews, and so they developed their own system, their own place of worship. And so one day Jesus is going through Samaria, he sends his men in the village to get some food, and he sits at a well at, at the noon hour. And as he's sitting at the well at the noon hour, a lonely woman comes over the horizon to get some water. Now, first of all, you get water in the morning at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, when the women can sit there and talk and and have community and be together and laugh and tell stories and talk about their kids or their grandkids. The only reason you go at noon to get water is because you are an outcast among the outcasts. You're a persona non grata. You're an untouchable. And she was. She was. And so she gets water, and she's probably trying to avert the gaze of Jesus because he's a Jewish man, and she's a Samaritan woman who's an outcast, and she's afraid he may even throw a rock at her. And so he says, can you give me a drink? And she says, whoa, why are you talking to me? I mean, you're, you're, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. And, had this, and then he says to her this. He says, well, go, go, go and call your husband. She says, well, I'm not married. He says, you're right. You've been married five times, and the dude you're living with isn't your husband. She goes, whoa. And she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And what do you, what's your comeback? He's just exposed you as an immoral woman. So what do you do? Just kind of switch gears? How about those bears or something? You've got to say something. And uh, he says, our father said we worship on this mountain. And Jesus says, a day is coming when we will all worship in spirit and in truth. 
And she says, I know. I've been told that. And when Messiah comes, he'll tell us all about it. And Jesus said this, I who speak to you am he. The Bible says that she left her water pot. I would too. She went running to the village and she said to her neighbors, come and meet a man who's told me everything I have ever done. And her neighbor's thinking, if he's told you everything you've ever done, that was a long conversation. And they go out and they meet Jesus. And they invite him into their village and he's there for two days teaching them. And I thought, you know, when I get to heaven, after I'm there for a while, I'm going to go to the, the library. I'm saying, can I see the DVD of what Jesus taught these outcast Samaritans for two days. I know what it's going to be. It's going to be about mercy upon mercy upon mercy upon grace. It's going to be about the fact that really there is no shame when you know Jesus. That there's a, 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 something I've been reading about and thinking and hearing people talk about is that the, the, the shaming in our culture, people being shamed because of the, the media. And it's just, it's just, I was just sickened by the way this, I think a very fine young man at Oklahoma, the quarterback that won the Heisman Trophy, was, was treated because of a tweet he did at age 14. I mean, come on. Come on. But there's, we live in a culture of shame. And I read this incredible article by a woman, and she's late in her late 20s now, named, uh, titled Shame Storm. is going to be in a journal next month. But it's, it's, it's about, about something happened to her. She said she was on a panel on, on C-SPAN. And on the panel was being led, the moderator was Jonah Goldberg, a wonderful writer for the National Review. And there were several people there who were in their uh, early 20s at that time, because she's in her 30s now. And, and, and uh, they were just having a debate about politics. And her, her former boyfriend was there. And she said, during the question and answer, her former boyfriend, listen to this, launched into a rant about my personal failings for almost four minutes. He accused me of opposing Obamacare on the grounds that I, it would diminish human suffering, which allegedly I preferred to increase, uh, of wanting to repeal laws against fistfights for the same reason of being a sadistic and scheming heartbreaker in my personal life. She had left him. And of generally living according to a, quote, disturbing and brutal set of values, close quote. He said, unfortunately, that was captured on C-SPAN 2, and he made me out to be a sociopath. And she says, I was horrified. But then within 48 hours, listen, within 48 hours on YouTube, there were a half million hits on that. 48 hours. She said, it's been eight years. And every time I've applied for a job and they Google me, the first thing that comes up is that rant against me. And so she said, finally, she went to her former boyfriend. And she's married now, happily married. And we somewhat reconciled. And I asked him, I said, do you, do you regret doing that? And he says, well... I, I guess. <laughs> and this is what she says. I thought the, the, the closing was incredible. Closing two pages. She says, my first reaction to the video was to feel aggrieved, thinking that I did not deserve what was happening to me. But on the day of judgment, all my sins will be shattered from the housetops. And Todd's rant will sound like a retirement luncheon toast in comparison. Of course I deserved it. 
And worse, most of us poor sinners do, close quote. I, I love like a retirement luncheon toast. The only thing I, problem I have with that paragraph is, theologically, is not most of us poor sinners do, but all of us poor sinners do. I mean, the, the, everybody here has issues over which they are incredibly shamed. If you're not, you're on great medication. You've forgotten. All of us deal with the voice of condemnation. You know, in Jesus, there's no shame. In Jesus, my shame has been covered by the cross, by his shed blood. In, in Jesus, I can, I can stand up and, and, I, and I can be, I'm fully, I'm fully, we say, justified. There's a great hymn that says, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and, and, and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can ever bid me to part. I, I mean, it's, it's about Jesus. I have great shame in my life, but it's covered by Christ. So I, I say to you, Glory in Jesus, glory in the gospel, glory in the Christmas message. God became a man to die on the cross for your shame, your sins. But let me take just a different tag, just kind of, just kind of flip it over. For those of us who name the name of Christ, uh, to quote Wesley, he, he, come, he came from our fears and sins releases. So, so I, was, I was thinking about that and I just thought about, as a Christ follower, The Bible asks us to do hard things, to be forgiving. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you, for heaven's sake. He says, you know, if you're nice to people, they're nice to you, big deal. Everybody does that. You, you care for people that don't really like you. That's hard. So my, 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 it's really the hard, it's, it's, as you read the Bible, is the Holy Spirit pushing you to do the hard thing. The other day I was talking about this passage with a couple of guys on staff and one man laughed and he said, you know, it's kind of like sometimes you get temple Jesus and sometimes you get loving lepers Jesus. What I mean by that is, you know, in the Gospels, Jesus goes into the temple and they're, they've made the temple a place of, of bartering and cheating and conniving and, and, and Jesus made a whip and he turned over the tables and he drove them out of the temple and said, You've, this is a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. That's strong. But then you read the other places in the gospel where he touched people that were untouchable. He loved immoral people. He embraced a man who'd been cheating his countrymen named Zacchaeus. So I think you get, even when Jesus, Jesus overturns the, the tables in your heart, is for your good. It's to show you the glory of Christ and let you share in that. There's a little book called The Chronicles of Narnia. One of my favorite quotes is the first of the line which is in the wardrobe. And, and uh, in the book, there's a mythical lion or there's a magic lion named Aslan who rules the kingdom. And there are four children who've gotten there through the wardrobe and, and they're they're having some conversation with talking beavers. And in this particular instance, the little girl named Susan says, well, you know, 
tell me about Aslan. And they said, well, Aslan is a great and magnificent lion, powerful lion. And Susan goes, oh, a lion? I wasn't expecting a lion. That's pretty, you know, tough. And then she says, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says this. I think it's great theology. It's great. Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I just say, to you, to us, Jesus isn't safe, but he's good. I pray in 2019, the Holy Spirit, by the word of God, in the name of the Savior Jesus, pushes you, pushes, challenges you, challenges all of us to be on mission with God, to, 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 take, to take the gospel, some of us to the nations, all of us to our neighborhoods, to, to understand that as we're exposed to the Bible, that, that God wants to change us. He's not safe, but he's good. If he's overturning money change your tables in your heart right now as I speak, is for your good. Yeah, it's for your good. You can trust him. So here's a real quick story. Um, just speak to some of you who maybe have never definitively stepped across the line of faith. I've talked to somebody this week and I asked him, I said, when did you come to know Christ? He said, well, you know, I've, I, I've trusted Christ, but I haven't had a dramatic experience. It's just been kind of a gentle turning to him, I said, do you believe um, that Christ died on the cross for your sins? Absolutely. I said, well, he said, the only hope I have is Christ. I said, then, then I believe, the Bible says, that you're, you're, you're saved. You see, some people come to Christ in a dramatic crisis. There are a lot of people, it's very interesting, they get serious about their faith when they have children. I see it happen all the time because you're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, it's all, it's, I'm, I am responsible for this child. I need help. See, that's good. Some people come to faith in Christ when they're going through a, a deep valley in their marriage or when they're coming out of an, uh, substance abuse or, or when they're going through a sickness. But that's called a crisis. But, but, but a lot of people come to faith in Christ gradually and gently, but there comes a point where you cross the line. One of my favorite examples, one of my heroes is, you know, if you've been here very long, is C.S. Lewis, who died in 1963. Lewis was an atheist who was wounded in World War I and was teaching at Oxford. And while he was at Oxford, he met a group of people called the Inklings, including J.R.R. Tolkien and Charles Williams, very committed believers. Tolkien, of course, Lord of the Rings. And Lewis left his atheism, and at the age of 31, he said, I knelt by my bed and became the most reluctant convert in England. But see, he was converted to theism. He said, I, I said, I believe there's a God. So that's as far as he got. Two years later, two years later, he says, I, I was going to the zoo, and, a, and my, my brother was driving the motorcycle, and I was in a sidecar, and I, I, I got in the sidecar, not convinced that Jesus was God in the flesh. And when I got to the zoo, I was convinced that Jesus was God in the flesh who died on the cross for my sins. I mean, it's just, that's what happened. It was gradual. But there still comes a point in time when I think, where you do say, I am now trusting Christ. Are you trusting Christ? The story you've heard, you've heard this story, this illustration, but a building is, is burning. It's, a, it's an apartment. And 
And, and on the fourth floor on the balcony is a little girl, five-year-old girl. And the, the building is about to fall down behind her. The flames are, are, are licking the, the porch. And there are some firemen down there. They, they said, we don't have time to get the ladder up. So they, they had this canvas that said, jump, please jump. And there's a large crowd looking up and, and thinking, she's got to jump. She's got to jump. She, she doesn't. The, and and, and she, she knew there was a fire. She could feel the heat. Even as a five-year-old, she said, this is not right. She, she knew that she felt the heat. She knew that she was in a dire place and that there could be incredible consequences. But, 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 but can I trust these firemen? And then all of a sudden, a, a man comes running up with all of his might, and he runs through the crowd, knocking people over, a big man. And he runs up, and he stands next to the fireman and says, jump, sweetheart. It's her daddy. Oh, my daddy. I can trust him. And she jumps to her safety. Now, just bear with me for a second. In the gospel, you have to know certain facts. You have to know that Jesus came, lived, died on the cross as our substitute, rose victorious over death, seen by 500 men, um, ascended to heaven. So, so you've got to know the facts. And then you, there's a point in your mind where you, you say, I, th I think that really happened. But then there's this step of faith where you say, you know, I'm going to trust, as I read the Bible, I can trust Jesus. I can trust him. I get it. He's the fulfillment of all the promises. I can trust him. He is trustworthy. His loving kindness is never failing. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. I can trust him. And you make, somewhere you make a step across the line. I'm just asking you this morning, have you done that on this Christmas 2018? Uh, and if you want to talk about that, there are people with badges around here. You can chat with them. We'll give you some information. Uh, but, but, but please consider the glory of Christmas. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the, the, the simple message of the gospel. I thank you that the gospel is shallow enough for a child to grasp and deep enough for scholars to grapple with. Whether it's the hypostatic union or the Trinitarian nature of God, these things are, are really beyond us, but they comfort us. So I pray for people who are here and who will talk to in the next few days who have never really made the step. They, they, they may believe things, I pray they would see, Lord Christ, that you are trustworthy and you would save them from their sins and the judgment that comes. And I pray that we would really celebrate Christmas well, really well, as we understand that you are the fulfillment of all the promises, Christ. As, as we understand that the focal point of your life was to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and as we are just told very simply, listen to him. So may we listen to you, I pray, in Jesus' name.